Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and people who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. We have a very sober podcast this week. Some of you were like, Demetria, how much did you drink last week? You know what? Really, it was only two glasses. I wasn't like fucked up. There was just a lot to talk about and a lot of it was crazy and you know. I had much things to say. That's all. They were like, you sounded drunk last week. I was like, my words did not slur. I might have been a little fired up, but I was not drunk. I was just, I just had two glasses. I didn't go to the third glass. You know what happens when I have the third glass. I start booking random trips. But no, I was good. And I'm in good spirits this week. I'm well rested. I haven't really done much other than like research, sleep, work. I did have some projects like I needed. I very much needed to come back to L.A. and and sit down for a hot minute. And I do mean a hot minute because I did get bored the other day and was like, why am I here and book the trip? So I'll be traveling again sooner than later. But I have done some work and I have like sat down and I have rested and I have like done like random things that like, I don't know. When I was in Vegas, I took this picture and like I didn't like how my boobs were sitting. So I just went on this like bra buying spree. I decided to update all my bras. Keep them high. I'm just saying. But that's it. I have like no new news to report. Like I haven't really done anything other than run some errands. I probably haven't even left my apartment. I've just been like glued to my desktop. I had to do like writing stuff and invoice stuff and contract stuff, which I was like, do I have to be here to do that? Surely I can do this from the road, right? But I need to focus. So here I am. But that's it. I don't really have much to report. I was going to go to the movies tonight. I actually decided to stay home and record this podcast instead. And I feel bad about it. I wanted to see Respect. It technically comes out tomorrow, but it's opening theaters in L.A. at least tonight. And mind you, I haven't been to the theater like since COVID began because that was like one of like the, the heightened places where you couldn't go. And so I was going to go because I figured even though it's opening night that it's, you know, people are still COVID scared 
and it's a Thursday and the theater that's closest to my house is one of those like gigantic big screen theaters. I figured I could social distance enough and I didn't mind sitting in the theater with my mask on because I wear it everywhere else. So I figured I'd be fine. But COVID is not even the reason I didn't go. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go see the Jennifer Hudson movie, the Aretha Franklin movie. But like I, I decided this morning I was going to go. And then as it was creeping closer to like seven o'clock, which was the showing I was going to go see, I hadn't bought my tickets yet. And I was like, well, literally, it's like an eight minute walk away. And then somewhere around 645, I was like, well, mm, I was like, well, let me watch the trailer because maybe seeing the trailer will like make me excited about the film. Because I really do want to see it because like Jennifer Hudson's in it. Mary J. Blige is in it. Forrest Whitaker is in it. Who else? Marlon Wayans is in it. Like, like I really do want to see this film. Like, people I genuinely enjoy are also in this film. Like, Jennifer Hudson, I think, is a really good actress. I love her voice. And then I looked at the trailer, and I was like, I feel like I just watched this story. One of the things that I was really nervous about when I heard that there were two big Aretha Franklin projects, and so close together, Aretha Franklin is iconic enough where she can get more than one film. I mean, they make more than one film about random white people all the time, right? Surely, like, the Queen of Soul can have, like, a, a film and, like, a, a whole miniseries. Like, this this makes sense. But I feel like because they're so close together, I was like, I feel like I'm going to go to the theater and I'm going to pay $17, which is how much movie tickets cost in L.A. I don't know how much they cost other places. But I was like, am I really going to pay $17 to, like, watch the same story that I just watched for free on PBS, like, earlier this year? I mean, wasn't that in March? You know, my friend Patrice was in it. She played Irma Franklin, Aretha's sister. She came on the show. She's a sweetheart. I love Patrice. But yeah, I was like, do I really want to watch this again? Yeah. And not necessarily do I want to watch it again. I was like, do I want to watch it now? So obviously, like, I didn't go. It's 7.34 and I'm sitting in the loft and I'm recording this podcast and I skipped respect. There's another showing at 10. I may try Literally, it's like an eight-minute walk from my house. It requires next to nothing for me to go. It's just, I feel like I know the story. I read that it starts with Aretha as a kid, and then it goes up to when she does the documentary for Amazing Grace. And that was like 19, what, 76, 74? It was before I was born. I know that much. An amazing documentary. When it came out, I talked about it all the time on here because I've watched that documentary. I saw it three times maybe four in theaters, and I just randomly watch it on Hulu. I love it. Easily, like, 50 times, I've watched it, played it in some form or fashion. And yes, I could play the actual music. It's different. The music in the documentary is different from the music from the album. But that's how often I've listened to it that I can tell you that. I say all that to say, Respect covers a more narrow terrain, and it looks really pretty. Like, the wardrobe's amazing, the hair is amazing. I think Jennifer Hudson, who was handpicked by Aretha to to portray her. I'm sorry about the sirens. I live in downtown L.A. It is what it is. I think Jennifer Hudson gives me more Aretha energy um, than Cynthia Revo did, although they both have amazing voices. I saw them both at the same time on Broadway. They were in the color purple together, and I met them both then. I was doing this talk back after the show so like the whole cast is sitting on stage except for Cynthia Revo, who knew the talk back was happening and came and found me backstage and was like look I gotta go home like I did two shows today I'm exhausted and I still gotta go to the gym I'm very very sorry I didn't want to dip on you without you know saying hello and letting you know but I gotta go and I was like sis you just brought me to tears do what you need to do to be good for tomorrow and then Jennifer Hudson wasn't there. And so I'm on stage, like, you know, interviewing the cast. And then I looked to the right. And then all of a sudden, Jennifer Hudson was there. And I was like, hey, girl. <laughs> and she was like, hey, what's up? <laughs> and then we just continued. It was so random. But very nice woman. Doesn't necessarily look like Aretha, but gives me more Aretha energy from what I can see in the commercials. I really want to see this film. I'm just, you know, I didn't go to the 7 o'clock show. We'll see about the 10. Maybe next episode, I'll, I'll have something to report back. We'll see. The Hollywood Reporter actually gave it really good reviews it says Whitaker he's playing Aretha's father he does standout work as a charismatic preacher a proud difficult man capable of hardness as much as love Marlon Wayans plays Ted that's the first husband smooth and seductive but ultimately weak they do note that the costumes Clint Ramos is over the costumes 
a series of fabulous gowns and statement jewelry showing black women's style of the era at their most glamorous. That's good. That's a good review. I just, I couldn't pull it together. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Yeah. There's good black news this week. Our forever president, forever 44, Barack Obama. He had a big birthday bash in Martha's Vineyard. He turned 60 on August 4th. I don't think we acknowledge his birthday. So happy belated birthday, President Obama. The Chicago Sun-Times has details about his Martha's Vineyard birthday bash. It was a sit-down dinner. I've read that it was scaled down to 200 people. Apparently some right-winger types. They got word of Obama's birthday bash and how many people were in attendance and they began to make a fuss over him having a large gathering in the midst of COVID. So the party was scaled down to 200. I'm like, how many people were you inviting, sir? I mean, it's 60. It's a big deal. But I do see the issue. We're all supposed to be being our most responsible due to this never-ending virus, this Delta variant that's ruining everything. Apparently, it ruined part of Barack Obama's birthday party. John Legend sang happy birthday. Common and the Roots performed. Obama's bestie, Joe Biden, he was not in attendance. He did send a video. Valerie Jarrett, she was there. She introduced the Obamas to Martha's Vineyard years ago. She's also the president of the um, Obama Foundation. I'm going through this list of like names that I recognize. Eric Holder, he was Obama's first attorney general. Was he the first black attorney general too? I don't remember. Tom Hanks was there. Dwayne Wade. Reggie Love. Remember Reggie Love? He was Obama's body man. He was like big and brown and broad. Pete Sousa. He was Obama's White House photographer. I follow him on Instagram. He is a shady palm tree of human. He is funny. He has a book. Is it called Shade? Who else? So people who were uh, disinvited after the, the list had to be cut, which I was like, woo. I mean, even though like everyone should understand, but still like you get invited to the former president's 60th birthday party at Martha's Vineyard. That's a, that's a good get. And then to be disinvited, that's, that's former Chicago mayor, Rahm Emanuel. He was also Obama's first chief of staff. He was disinvited. David Axelrod, he's a political strategist. The man has a genius mind. He was asked not to come. That's wild. I would love to see who else was disinvited. Ooh, I understand it's for the greater good, but that's messy. But that's the good tea. From the Chicago Sun-Times. Which really isn't much tea at all. Just the disinvited is tea. But congratulations again to former President Barack Obama. I hope he enjoyed his party. You know the music was good. I'm just saying. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home. And then there's a version of it where you have someone help you. You watch them do it the right way. And you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! 
It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We have other good black news. For me, it's one of the most wonderful times of the year. The September issues are hitting stands. I get so excited about this. I'm a former magazine editor, but long before I wrote for magazines or worked at any, I've been a magazine junkie since I was like, what, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. Used to tear out all the pages and make collages all over the walls of my bedroom. I started doing that in high school. Actually, I still do it. I have a set of armoires. They have five doors. They're plain white. Um, But when you open the armoire doors, I've made collages from pictures that I've torn out of magazines on all the inside doors of my armoires. I've done some version of a collage of magazines on a wall or doors in every house I've lived in. But the September issues are here. I'm very excited. Meg the Stallion is on the cover of Essence um, as Tina Snow. She's dressed in all white, blonde hair. She's giving me Marilyn Monroe meets Little Kim vibes. I was actually surprised to see her on the cover of Essence. A welcome surprise. But you know, Essence, at one time, Essence hasn't actually been very conservative and quote and unquote respectable in a very long time. But it still has that branding. It hasn't been able to shake it for whatever reasons, even though like they've clearly rebranded. But I think Megan on the cover of Essence is definitely a statement. It's a very clear, like we're not playing into respectability politics. Meg shakes her ass. Meg is also dope. And Meg is a black woman who is very successful in her field. And so we are going to celebrate her success and we are going to place her on the cover of Essence. There was a time when that never would have happened. And I'm glad that it has. She looks absolutely amazing. So if you haven't seen that cover, please give it a search. Beyonce is on the cover of Harper's Bazaar which is available on newsstands August 31st. Because as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, head to the newsstand. I was like, oh, let me head to the newsstand. Um, but it is not out yet. There's two covers. There's one she has on this, this black Givenchy cape. She has a bodysuit, so the thighs are out. She has a cowboy hat. Of course, the long blonde hair. Of the two covers, I prefer the other one. She's in a very beautiful feathered Gucci dress. She looks like herself, but not herself. She just looks very grown. And she is grown because Beyonce is turning 40 on September 4th. And this cover, this story, is very much a celebration of who she is as a grown-ass woman at 40. I like it. I like it. She just looks different. And I don't mean bad. I just mean she looks different. That's all. It's a really good article. Q&A. Um, you can tell that the writer sent in the questions. You can tell that she wrote the answers and sent them back. Just because people speak differently in the way that they write. There's just a thoroughness, I think, when people write that doesn't always come across when they're speaking. It's just a different tone. But she gave us a few tidbits. One is not a tidbit at all. It's just something I didn't realize. We rarely see her youngest two children, the twins. I feel like they were born yesterday. And yet they're four. Like when I read that in the article, I was like, holy crap. Blue is nine, which I was like, oh my God, I remember when Beyonce announced she was pregnant with her. The MTV Awards? And now she's nine? That was almost 10 years ago? Really? Doesn't feel like it. We learned that Jay-Z and Beyonce are the new faces of Tiffany and Co., which I was like, who knew? I mean, other than them. You know, everybody at Parkwood. But I was like, oh, good for them. What else did we learn? She talks a lot about her sacrifices throughout the years of her life she started competing and dancing when she was seven which we knew she talks about getting her first vocal injury at 13 from singing in the studio for too many hours the doctors put her on vocal rest all summer she talks a lot about like the time she spent developing herself even at seven she recognized that she was the only black girl in most of the spaces that she was in in the competition spaces And she says, quote, it was then that I started to realize that I had to dance and sing twice as hard. I had to have stage present wit and charm if I wanted to win. I mean, as black women, especially, but black people in general, 
we're often told in our formative years that we have to be, you know, twice as good to get half as much. I don't think I knew that at seven. I don't think it dawned on me and I don't think anybody said it to me yet. We've talked about, and not about this topic, we've talked about it in other ways, about how black girls don't often get a girlhood. The responsibilities or the assumption of adulthood or maturity is put on them like way, way, way early. That really just hit me when I read that. And I was like, wow, seven, she'd already realized like, you know, I have to be better to compete with the white girls around me. But she talks about how as a teenager, all her energy went into Destiny's Child and the dream of getting a record deal. If something wasn't helping me reach my goal, I decided to invest no time in it. I didn't feel like I had time to kiki or hang out. I sacrificed a lot of things and ran from any possible distraction. I felt as a young black woman that I couldn't mess up. I felt the pressure from the outside and their eyes watching for me to trip or fail. I couldn't let my family down after all the sacrifices they made for me and the girls. That meant I was the most careful professional teenager and I grew up fast. I wanted to break all the stereotypes of the black superstar, whether falling victim to drugs or alcohol or the absurd misconception that black women were angry. I knew I was given this amazing opportunity and I felt like I had one shot. I refused to mess it up, but I had to give up a lot. That's just her talking about her teenage years. From the outside looking in, I would look at all her accomplishments, all the awards, all the accolades, um, the cultural shift that she's made. And I would say that I guess that sacrifice is worth it. But I wonder if she thinks so. Hmm. She's, she doesn't say in the article. She just talks about like all the things that, that she did. In her 20s, she talks about she was pushed to her limit, but she did learn the power of saying no, which is important. She said her 30s were about starting a family and her life becoming more than her career and ending generational trauma. And so for her 40s, she says, I've spent so many years trying to better myself and improve whatever I've done, then I'm at the point where I no longer need to compete with myself. I have no interest in searching backwards. The past is the past. I feel many aspects of that younger, less evolved Beyonce could never fuck with the woman I am today. Ha. Translation. She's about to turn 40 and she's running out of fucks. Quickly. There's one more thing I wanted to read that she said about her 40s. Quote, I want to show that you can have fun and have purpose. Be respectful and speak your mind. You can be both elegant and a provocateur. You can be curvy and still be a fashion icon. I wish this freedom for every person. I have paid my dues and followed every rule for decades. So now I can break the rules that need to be broken. My wish for the future is to continue to do everything everyone thinks I can't do. I love that. I love that little note. In other good black news, and also September issues, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, he is on the cover of The Hollywood Reporter. The article is titled, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II cements his place on Hollywood's new A-list. Fresh off his Emmy win for Watchmen, the magnetic actor has a string of high-profile roles lined up, including Candyman, Aquaman 2, and Matrix 4. You know, the article starts off talking about this Hollywood producer. He's, he was watching, what is that show called? Handmaid's Tale. And, and Yaya came on the screen. And I was like, wait a minute, Yaya was in the Handmaid's Tale? Apparently season two, episode, it's called Baggage. He helps, um, what is that woman's name? I want to call her Offred. That is not her name. What is her name in the show? June. He tries to help June escape. Which I was like, wait, what? I have faithfully watched The Handmaid's Tale. I do not remember Yaya. And I was like, I guess I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. Cause like, I love all things Yaya. All things Yaya. So, but the, one of the producers for Watchmen was watching The Handmaid's Tale and saw Yaya and was like, oh, he has this thing, like, that magnetic thing. Like I, I want, I want. And so he said, he called up casting and was like, yo, we need to get this dude in this film. And that's how he ended up in Watchmen. Hollywood Reporter defines A-list in a new way. They said the A-list label once meant an actor who could open a film through name recognition. Instead, the new A-list is a rising group of actors who have stood out so profoundly in their supporting roles and showcased such range 
that studios are competing with their rivals to plug them into their next nine-figure gambles. Or, in layman's terms, someone you're willing to watch, someone you're willing to watch for two hours in anything they do. And they say that Abdul Mateen, the second, certainly fits that bill. Which I agree. To a degree. Like, I do think Yaya is A-list. I loved him in The Watchmen. I want to support everything he does. I'm not going to see Candyman. I saw the original Candyman as a child and was like fucked up for years being in the dark with a mirror. As silly as it sounds, you could not pay me to stand in front of a mirror and like say that title of the film over and over and over. It just won't happen. I'll buy a ticket though to support, but I'm not going to see Candyman. No. I'm not going to watch Aquaman either just because it's like not my thing. I wanted to do well. I wanted to succeed. Who's the other person in Aquaman? Lisa Bonet's husband. He has a whole real name. He's been in commercials. He's an accomplished actor. Lenny Kravitz shots him out for his birthday every year. MoMA. Jason MoMA. That's his name. Gorgeous man. Beautiful man. He's, he's Aquaman. And he's a really sweet guy. I remember The Rock's youngest daughter, Tia, is obsessed with Aquaman. And so The Rock called Jason MoMA and was like, can you... FaceTime Tia for her birthday. And he did it. And I was like, oh, I love him. Jason Boma loves the kids. And still, I'm not going to see Aquaman. It's just not my cup of tea. Even to see half-naked Jason Boma in water. No, still not. And Yaya, still not. But I still think he's A-list. I'm just not going to see everything. I'll go see most things. He says he's been working nonstop since January of 2017. He says he's been on the road a lot. He says he's very lonely, which I was like, sir, that's a choice. I I would very gladly unlonely you. I'm sure there are so many people, self-included, who would love to keep him company, who would love to entertain him. I I volunteer myself as tribute. But he says right now that he's looking for his quote and unquote tribe. He says, I want to work with people who feel like family. Scorsese does it. The Afflecks do it. Spike Lee does it. I'm looking for the same type of community right now. People who value the same things that I value in storytelling. People who wouldn't mind traveling around the world with me and make really, really good shit. Sir, I volunteer as tribute. I would gladly travel around the world with you and make really, really good shit. Like, I'm a creative. I can come up with creative shit. It's going to be weird, but I'm, it'll be creative. I'm just saying. I can be part of your tribe. I can keep you company so you won't be lonely. I'm just saying. Yaya Abdul-Mateen second. You know he has New Orleans roots? I thought he was from California, which he was raised some of his life in Oakland. But he was like born in New Orleans. First 10 years were in New Orleans. And I was like, oh, that explains everything. That energy, he has that energy. He just has, mm, mm. Especially when he was blue. Mm. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. But congratulations to him. The cover of The Hollywood Reporter is no small feat. Congratulations to the folks behind High on the Hog. They got picked up for season two on Netflix. You know, I raved about High on the Hog. You remember that one about um, basically how like African food shows up everywhere. <laughs> the really good like food travel history documentary. Like, it took me to some places that I didn't even know existed. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. There's a whole floating town in Africa? I never knew such a thing existed. I was like, hopefully they'll go to Brazil and they'll talk about how all those black-eyed peas show up in Mokeka. It's like gumbo, essentially, which is the equivalent of, like, West African okra stew. Same difference. it's, It's gumbo. With black eyed peas in it. That's the only difference. It's the same thing. But it's good. Oh, my God. It's so good. So hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll take us down to Brazil and he'll take us into the Caribbean and talk about where Africa shows up there, too. He'll take us a whole lot of places where Africa shows up. I mean, basically everywhere. But I always think it's nice when people point it out. Sometimes I catch it. Sometimes I don't. But good for How on the Hog. That was a really good show. I also hope that the host, I thought he was fine as the host. He got on social media at one point. You know, he has a white girlfriend, but I think people were giving him a little hell about it at one point. And he flipped out on his page and defended his quote, Canela Vanilla Swirl. And I didn't know what Canela meant. Somebody had to point it out to me because I was like, 
I mean, are you calling her white? Because she looks a little spicy white to me. And then somebody was like, Canela means cinnamon. And I was like, oh, okay. So flavorful white. Okay. He had a small meltdown on his page. I was like, we could keep the meltdowns to a minimum. You know, he's newly famous. And Netflix makes you worldwide famous. So even if you're popular in the States, a lot of people are popular in the States, but can still, you know, go somewhere else and, you know, be fine. But go somewhere else and and not be recognized and and just be fine. But dude is worldwide famous. Like, he can't go anywhere where people are not going to be like, hey, if nothing else, ain't you that dude from that show on Netflix? What else is on this list? There is this new documentary on Netflix. It's called Malice at the Palace. It's part of this new documentary series. I don't know who it's from. I don't think it's from ESPN. It's called Untold. And I didn't look up what the other untold stories are in this documentary, but I absolutely should because the one that's kicking it off, The Malice in the Palace, was phenomenal. I don't even know what made me click on it. Whether you're a sports fan or not, you know what Malice in the Palace is. If you remember like 15 years ago, I don't know, a fight broke out. Malice at the Palace. It was an arena in Detroit. You remember this footage of what you probably saw was two athletes running into the stands and fighting the fans. I'm not a big sports fan. I definitely don't watch ESPN with any sort of regularity. But I remember that footage being everywhere. It specifically showed Ron Artest, now known as Meta World Peace, and Steven Jackson, the same Steven Jackson that we talk about here from time to time, both played for the Pacers, running into the stands and fighting with the fans. And as a result of that, Steven Jackson was suspended for 30 games. Ron Artest was suspended for 86 games. A player who I'd never heard of because I don't follow sports, Jermaine O'Neal, he was suspended for 25 games. And if you remember at the time, because of this incident, the mainstream sports coverage, and even I would say news coverage in general, they always blamed the players, which were black men, and never the fans. At the time, it made it seem like they were white guys. That's what you got to watch the documentary. But it seemed like these black players went crazy and went into the stands and attacked these white guys and the high-paying white guys because we're talking about seats that are no higher than, I would say, like, I don't know, row 10. So we're talking about, like, the big money spenders at that. That's who they went into the stands and, like, and quote and unquote attacked. And as a result of these quote and unquote thugs, because that's what the players kept being called, the NBA institutes this dress code, which is why all the players all wear suits, to go to the games now. So you're making it seem more professional. Before that, some of those outfits were very questionable. It was like, sir, you know what? Y'all kind of needed a dress code because y'all like I was going from the block just straight to the game, which I mean, in fairness, in fairness, you're going to play a sport. You don't really need to show up to the arena in a suit when you're really about to go put on like shorts and high tops. Like, Really? But I do prefer the suits. Just as an aesthetic, I prefer the suits. They look good in their suits. But the documentary, (laughs) they put Steven Jackson and Ron Artest. And if you don't know anything about Ron Artest, I implore you to watch this documentary. Like, it's not so much about sports as it is about the psychology of, of people. But Ron Artest is like... He's kind of like another version of Dennis Rodman, but can't be reasoned with in the same way. So if you watch the Jordan documentary and they talked about how in the middle of the season, Dennis Rodman was like, I need a break. I'm going to Vegas. And the coach was like, I know how Dennis is when he needs a break. You just got to let him unwind and then he'll come back and be fine. And if you try to stop him, Then he's just going to go crazy. So he was like, fine, go take your break and then come back ready to play. So Dennis was like, great. And then Dennis left and then wouldn't return. And so Michael Jordan had to go, I think it was Vegas, and get Dennis Rodman and be like, "Um, we're in the middle of the season. I need you to come back and like 
do your goddamn job. And so he came back. Or was it Phil? What's Phil's name? Phil Jackson was the coach of the Bulls at the time. That's another one. If you haven't seen that, like, lo- that 10-part Jordan documentary that came on last year, please, please find a way to watch it. It was so good. But Phil Jackson talks about how Dennis Rodman went away. Michael Jordan had to come get him. And then he came back. And then when he shows up for practice the next day, Phil was like, I didn't even, like, go off on him. I was just like, hey, Dennis, like, how are you feeling today? Did you get some breakfast? Phil Jackson understood people. I don't remember the name of the coach for the Pacers because, again, I don't follow sports like that. That coach did not take the same approach with Ron Artest. Ron Artest kept telling the team, I don't want to do this anymore. I I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And they were like, Ron, we pay you a shit ton of money. You're not going to quit in the middle of the season. You're not going to take a vacation. You're not taking a break. You're going to show up and you're going to fucking play. Basically, shut the fuck up. But they did get him a therapist. And the therapist traveled with the team. So they did, they did just enough to keep him at peace. I told you the whole story about Dennis Rodman to tell you about what Ron Artest did, which I learned watching this doc- documentary. Ron Artest told the team, he was like, I need some time off because um, a family member has passed away. And they were like, oh, okay, well, by all means, you know, like, we're not going to hold you here. And like, you know, somebody's died. By all means, like, you know, go mourn with your people. So he left. And then he showed up at the Source Awards as a presenter. Like, what? (laughs) You're not even trying to hide the bullshit you're on. Like, you just killed off one of your family members so you could go to the Source Awards and not even just be in the audience. Because, I mean, these are the days before, like, social media. He might have been able to get away with not being seen on camera. But, sir, you going to present? That's Ron Artest in a nutshell. So, Ron Artest who does what Ron Artest feels like doing. And then Steven Jackson, who I have my feelings about Steven Jackson. I will say that in for the purposes of this documentary, he presents a logic that I don't necessarily agree with, but I see where he was going with it. He has a street code of logic, which doesn't always play out well in, in quote-unquote corporate professional situations. Like, it's kind of explained... Why Ron Artest ran into the stands, which do you want to know? Okay. At the time of the incident, from what I remember, it was always portrayed as like a fan said something and Ron Artest just lost it and ran into the stands. And then another player who I now know to be Steven Jackson ran into the stands and they both started like fighting fans unprovoked. The documentary shows Ron Artest fouled a player on the Pistons, a gigantic human with a lovely voice. Like Ben Wallace started speaking and I was like, good God. I like rewound it. And I was like, his voice is amazing. Ron Artest is a gigantic man too, but Ben Wallace is like huge. Ron Artest fouls the fuck out of Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace shoves the fuck out of Ron Artest. It was one of them situations where like, you think you want this smoke? Until the smoke comes and you're like, nah, 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 I'm good. Ben Wallace is pissed about how Ron Artest fouled him. Flips the fuck out. Ron Artest de-escalates the situation by going to lay down face up on a table. Everyone's trying to control Ben Wallace because he's going crazy. They're trying to stop Ben Wallace from getting to Ron Artest. Ron Artest is so disinterested in fighting that he lays down on the table. Like he literally lays down on the table. In the documentary, he was like, I had a therapist. And my therapist said that, you know, like when you feel like yourself about to flip out, you need to like count to five. And he was like, so I laid on the table. I'm like, you just instigated a fight by fouling someone intentionally. The man reacts and then you go lay down? Which Ben Wallace said, he was like, I was more offended that he would foul me and then go lay down. He was, it was just disrespectful. So Ron Artest is laying there. A fan, which is how this whole incident starts. A fan from in the stands throws a cup and it hits Ron Artest, who again is laying down, counting to five, trying to de-escalate the situation that he just escalated. Ron gets hit with the cup and runs into the stands and starts fighting. Steven Jackson, his teammate, sees Ron up there fighting multiple people 
Street code. You don't leave your mans in them to get jumped. Steven Jackson runs in the stands and starts fighting. All hell breaks loose. I had to rewind it multiple times, especially the way Ben Wallace hit Ron Artest. Like I was laying down watching it and I sat up and was like, woo, woo. And it gets crazier from there. The producers use the Freedom of Information Act to go get footage from the palace. They show this incident from multiple angles. And it's so very clear that the players were only interested in fighting each other. Ron Artest is literally laying down when he's attacked, assaulted, because it's a cup, by a fan. The players get these huge suspensions. There's criminal charges filed. And then the DA is in the documentary. And he was like, yeah, like we didn't press any charges against the the athletes, because they were provoked, the fans attacked them first. And yet, they were the ones who were publicly punished. They were the ones who were called thugs. And head of the NBA, David Stern, gave them gag orders so they couldn't even talk about the incident and defend themselves. So that's why it's all coming out now. It's a crazy documentary, because like all these years, these guys have been characterized as as thugs, as unruly. Literally, the whole dress code for the NBA was changed because of this incident, and it wasn't even the players who provoked it. It's really crazy, like the way that a narrative can be so intentionally distorted, so much so like that you believe it's the truth, and it's not. I remember there was, um, because you know I tie everything back to The Wire, I can't remember what the incident was in the, in the wire, but it was a conversation between, I know his real name in real life, it's Big Genghis, Slim Charles. I mean, was it who killed Stringer Bell? I don't remember what it was. There was the truth, and then it was what everybody else thought was the truth. And Avon didn't want to act because he was like, well, the person that we're going after is not the person that did it. That's not who's responsible. And Slim Charles is like, nah, the perception even though it's inaccurate, has become the truth. So these guys are considered thugs for over a decade for some shit they didn't even do. That's crazy. Fuck Marlo. Fuck this fucking war. All this beef over a couple of fucking corners. Don't matter who did what to who at this point. Fact is, we went to war. And now there ain't no going back. I mean, shit. It's what war is, you know? Once you in it, you in it. If it's a lie, then we fight on that lie. But we gotta fight. Ugh. Michael B. Jordan has a new trailer for an upcoming film. It's not out till Christmas, which it's August. You got me looking forward to a film. September, October, November. You got me looking forward to a film that ain't going to be in theaters for three and a half months. Like, it looks like a good film, but three and a half months? Y'all could have waited until Thanksgiving to tell me about this film. Because um, it's not out till Christmas. But it's called A Journal for Jordan. And it's starring Michael B. Jordan and it's directed by Denzel Washington. It looks like a love story with a dignified black man. From what I can piece together, it looks like he writes letters to his unborn son who I'm going to assume that's who Jordan is, a journal for Jordan. I could be completely wrong about that. It's based on a book, which I'd never heard of, and so obviously have never read, so I have no idea what the story is. But Michael B. Jordan, he don't have his shirt on in the trailer. He looks freaking amazing. And I love watching him, like, in boyfriend-father roles. Like, it just makes me cuddly and wonderful inside. You remember how I used to watch Creed? Actually, Creed and Creed, too. But I used to watch Creed, the first Creed, over and over and over just for this scene in the restaurant when he's with Bianca. And he's like, what's a John? And he was like, oh, okay, you got a John? That and when he steals a kiss. It just makes me just, ooh, gooey inside. I love it. I got a soft spot for Michael B. Jordan. And then Creed, too, because of that training in the desert scene and he's running without his shirt on and the camera goes slow-mo up his body it's a beautiful fascinating sight to see it's on youtube i think if you missed it i want to say there's like this behind the scenes thing 
of um of shooting the desert scenes and he's like half naked and gorgeous in in it Lori harvey is a lucky woman lucky lucky woman i was like ma'am i hope you know what you're doing with that i hope you do or at least learn experiment (laughs) learn all that you can experiment as much as allowed lucky woman The last thing on my list to talk about today is Governor Cuomo. When we last spoke on Tuesday, I recorded the episode on Monday night and then it came out on Tuesday. And by the time the episode was live, (laughs) Cuomo was resigning from office. I was like, I think he has to resign, but I don't think he will resign. There's a possibility because of the governor of Virginia and then Marion Barry smoked crack and got reelected. So there's hope. Could be on the horizon, but Cuomo was like, nah, I'ma just call it a wrap. Not because he wanted to, not because he thinks he did anything wrong, but because he was going to be impeached and the story wasn't going to go away. And I imagine more women would come out and more digging would be done and it was just going to get uglier and uglier. So he, he has stepped aside. I think notable, and I didn't read this in a, um, an article. I, I, I saw a bunch of people talking about it. So apparently when he resigned, he, he mentioned something about changing social mores. Let me, let me actually pull it up. Because the one I'm looking at, this is from CNBC. He said he resigned. He says, quote, given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to government. And therefore, that is what I'll do because I work for you and doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. That's spin. He continued to deny some of the more serious claims, but Cuomo conceded he had offended some of his accusers with what he considered friendly or incidental physical contact and comments that were normal for men of his generation. No, it was skeevy then too. We just didn't hold men accountable for it. But he says, quote, in my mind, I have never crossed the line with anyone, but I didn't realize the extent to which the line has been redrawn. So here's the thing. The line hasn't been redrawn. We just actually hold men accountable for it now. Sometimes, occasionally, he just happens to be one of them. Unfortunate for him, because I mean, you know. Trump did this and more like literally he's talking about grabbing women by the hoo-ha and, you know, remained in office twice impeached, but remained in office. Nonetheless, Cuomo just happens to be one of the men, one of millions who behaved badly and is actually being held accountable for it to some degree. But it's not like the lines have been redrawn. It's like men at work have always said and done completely filthy, sleazy disgusting, offensive, harmful, hurtful things to women in the workplace and beyond. But we're specifically speaking about the workplace here. And women just complained about it and cried about it, warned other women about them, changed jobs, whatever. But it's not that the lines have been redrawn. It's always been fucking awful. I've got stories for days. I think I was sexually harassed at every job I worked at until I got to, um, no, that's not true. Harlequin, no, because it was all women. And in essence, it was all women. My first job, government job, a guy in the mailroom. He also got fired for sexual harassment. I didn't report him. I was 23 is my first job when I moved to New York. I just wanted to get my paycheck and go home. But he said some crazy shit to somebody else. The person who reported him, that was the third or fourth time and he got let go. I still remember his name, actually. Huh. Second job. Oh, second job was at BET. That was just so much shit happened at that job. Jesus, moving on. But yeah, but Governor Cuomo is out. His replacement will be Kathy Hochul, Hochul, the first woman to become governor of the state of New York. She's currently the lieutenant governor, obviously. Yeah. I don't know if this is the end of Cuomo. He's 63. I mean, I think as as a actual functioning politician, Perhaps, but I don't think this is the end of his run on the public stage. He's disgraced for now, but he's a wealthy white man in America. He'll figure something out. He'll be all right. I do wonder about Chris. I think we talked about this last time. Chris has been on vacation all week. Chris literally said last week, he said, I'm going on vacation. He said, I'm going to do a little fishing. 
So Chris is gone fishing until at least next week. He must have known his brother was going to announce something crazy this week. He signed a new contract with CNN in 2020. I'm reading this article on Variety. It doesn't even say about how much the contract would be for. But Cuomo Primetime, which launched in 2018, I'm reading this from Variety, quickly became CNN's most viewed program. They point out that his ratings soared when he would banter with his older brother, the governor. I hope Chris will be okay. Um, That Cuomo last name is going to take a beating for a while. But maybe Chris can separate himself somehow. I hope so. I like Chris. I think he's a good journalist. I think he can probably never mention his brother again, which is going to be weird. I'm going to tune in on Monday. I haven't been watching CNN like the way that I used to. I'm going to tune in on Monday and see what he says, if anything, about his brother. Because it's like, we all know it's happening. Like, are you just not going to say anything? Even if he says, like, you know, it's weird for me not to say anything because, you know, for obvious reasons, I can't and I won't. But I just want to acknowledge that I know that you know. And that's all. Like, just something. Because it's just weird for him to sit up there and host a political show. And the biggest story in politics is your brother grabbing TNA on the job. Oh, Andrew, we had such high hopes for you. Such high hopes. Oh, well. That's the episode for the week. For the week, thank you as always for tuning in. We'll have more to talk about next Tuesday. I'm warning you in advance, it probably will be late. I scheduled out a day to tape, but you know, things get a little rocky when I'm traveling. But I will have my microphone and such with me, so, you know, it'll get done. It just might be late. Work with me. Once again, thanks for listening, and we will talk again next week. Have a great weekend. Okay, bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.